We this morning are continuing in First Timothy, so I'm going to read the passage that we're looking at, and then I want to orient us a little bit after that. So let me jump straight into the passage. This is First Timothy chapter 1. We're starting in verse 12 and reading through verse 20. So we've got it up there. Okay, here we go. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 12 says, I thank Jesus Christ our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience and as as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. So, great passage. I'm excited to talk about this, but to talk about I want to reorient us, first of all, to where we're at in the passage, because if you didn't hear last week, then you're like, where are we at? And if you did hear last week, you're like, where are we at, right? (laughs) Because who remembers it all from last week? So let's reorient us to the flow of of the chapter. So I just want to read some of the verses that bring us from the beginning to the end of chapter one, just to remind us and see the flow of Paul's argument here. So to Timothy, my true son in the faith is how the letter starts. And he skips on, as I urged you when I went to Macedonia, you're going to stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. And then he gives a whole bunch of explanation in the middle. This sound doctrine conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. So as we get to the end of what we just read in verse 18, Timothy, my son, see it sounds just like it did in, in right up at the beginning in verse 2. I am giving you this command. So the command that he's about to talk about here um, is the same command that he was talking about last week, this command to warn people against false doctrines. And really, it's a command for Timothy, make sure you're walking in sound doctrine. And so last week, we spent a lot of time looking at the the three questions that the beginning of the passage raises that help us to discern if we are people who are walking in, in true or false doctrine. So this part, Paul has urged Timothy to stay. Your job in staying behind is you're going to make sure people are teaching what is true. And he wants Timothy to, and and us as leaders in the church, as we're, we're paying attention to this, to make sure we're guarding our doctrine and one another's doctrine. And I gave you the invite last week, like part of the job of the church We have a leadership team that helps me make sure that I'm teaching what is true. But part of the job of the whole church is read the Bible, 
See what it says? And if I'm seeing things here that don't align with the Bible, you need to bring it to me and say, hey, you said this, but this is not what Scripture says, right? It's our job as a community to make sure we're walking in sound doctrine. There's a command given in a, uh, a command given here in this section, verse 18 to 20, and it's the purpose. If you notice the word so that, so the part in black up here, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you a command in keeping with the prophecies made about you, so that. So that's always given a purpose. So Paul is giving a command to Timothy, guard your doctrine for a purpose. And that purpose is so that you would fight the battle well. So here's the command, fight the good fight. The the NIV that we're using here says fight the battle well. A lot of other translations translate it much more literally, fight the good fight. I kind of like what the NIV says because when you say fight the good fight, it's almost like we're in the right stage. We're going to fight this fight. We're going to fight the good one. We're going to fight it. Um, But I like the NIV twists it a little bit. Fight the battle well, putting some more emphasis, not on is it the right battle or not, but are you fighting it in the right way? And I think that's a lot more aligned with what Paul is trying to say through the rest of, of, of this epistle. So there's a fight that we're living in the middle of, and we are instructed to fight this battle well. Um, You know the battle we're in the middle of, right? This spiritual war between the forces of darkness and and the kingdom of God, it's, it's a battle that is taking place in the church and against the powers of darkness in the world. I think it's easy to read a line like this. I could stand up here and say, fight the good fight. So it's now your job to go out into your neighborhoods and your workplace and fight the good fight against the world. I don't know if you've noticed, but that's never what the Bible instructs us to do, right? This battle that he's instructing Timothy to fight is in the church, right? I'm urging you that there are people in your midst that are teaching false doctrine. So guard your doctrine, fight that good fight. It's a fight that is going to happen in our midst. So before we ever walk out into the world and try and figure out what they're doing out there, we've got to ask the question, how are we doing at fighting this fight inside? It's a fight not just in the church to make sure that we're standing in the truth, but it's a fight against the powers of darkness. The scripture is really clear that we live in a spiritual reality, not just a flesh and blood reality. We get fixated on what's happening in the human realm, what's happening in the political realm, what's happening in our neighborhoods, with our families. We get fixated there, but behind all of this is a spiritual reality that we so often lose sight of. There is a spiritual battle warring over our families, over our neighborhoods, over the church, across our city. And we are called to enter into this good fight and fight against it. The words used here, I mean, they they use the same Greek word twice. It's this military word, this, this soldiering word. So when he says fight the good fight, implied in this word are not just go out there as you are and start picking up your sword and whacking down everything you see, um, implied in the word fight the good fight is training and discipline and self-control and diligence and teamwork as we fight together against the powers of darkness as they come against us in the world. So this command to fight the good fight has hidden in it an instruction to us. How well are you doing at training to make sure that you fight the fight well? 
How much time do you give to studying the word of God to make sure you know what it says and can stand against it in the world? How much disciplining of yourself do you do so that you have a pure heart and a good conscience as you go out into the world to do the things that he's commanded us to do? We're called to fight this good fight. So, question for you. Where are you at in the spectrum of fighting the fight right now? Are you actively fighting for good doctrine in your life, fighting for purity in your life, fighting for the success of the church and the mission of God, or are you passive? Are you the kind of soldier that no one would want in the army because you run at the first sign of danger, you don't make your bed, you don't polish your shoes, you don't clean your gun? What kind of soldier are you? Are you fighting or are you passive right now? I like to rate myself on things. If you give yourself a rating on a scale of one to 10, how well are you doing at fighting the good fight? How prepared are you for the battle that we're living in the middle of? To understand how to fight this battle and to understand what this battle really looks like in Paul's mind, I want to just pause and and just trace the argument that's happening in this chapter because you'll notice we jumped over the core part of the middle of this passage. So let's just put on the screen here the flow of the argument just so you understand what's going on. The letter started with Paul giving this command to Timothy to stop these false teachers from teaching falsehood. Then he goes on and he talks about the law and he gives this warning and this evidence that in the world around us there is this catalog of vices that we're seeing, ways that we're living that don't align with the gospel, that don't align with the way of God and that these false teachers are permitting. And he uses it as a case study. If you're walking in in false doctrine, this is some of the things that end up being the result of not walking in the way of God and walking in rebellion against him. He finishes by revisiting the command to fight this good fight, to have our doctrine pure, to stand against untruth. But in between is this moment of confession where Paul gives this declaration that he's gonna call this trustworthy saying that Christ Jesus came to die for sinners and that I am the worst. This little section of confession is Paul helping us to understand the whole purpose and posture with which we fight this good fight. So we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at this part of the passage to understand what does it mean for us as we try and fight the good fight or fight the battle well as we walk in the world. If you read commentaries on 1 Timothy Lots of people make this comment and then other people argue against it. You know, Paul kind of digresses. He's making this clear point to Timothy about fighting the the good fight, command the teachers a certain way, and then he just kind of loses the plot. He's just drifting off, giving this little explanation about himself and then jumping back into the passage. Um, I don't like the word digression if it sounds like he's he's lost the plot and then trying to jump back. Um, But what he is doing is he's giving a parenthesis in the middle of his statement and giving an autobiographical account of what's going on in his life that helps us understand what it is that he asks Timothy to do. So we're going to look at this this digression, this parenthesis, verse 12 to 17. And in the middle of it is the pivotal statement. So we're going to start with the pivotal statement and then I'm going to look through the passage in just a couple of details. So in the middle is a statement that frames how we understand 
the battle that we are called to fight. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Why is he saying that? Timothy's surrounded by wise men who know the law inside out, who are teaching things that are not true. So Paul is using this statement to make it really, really clear at this point. Of all the things going on, you know that this is, this is true and this is important. If you're sitting in a church on a Sunday morning, to some level, you know that this statement is important to what we do as the church, right? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. When it comes to fighting the good fight, this is the fight that we're called to fight. It is a fight over the salvation of people. It's the fight that the church takes to each other and in partnership out into the world, we fight for the souls of people. We don't fight the government. We don't fight the school system. We don't fight our HOA and our neighborhood association. We fight to see salvation. And again, self-evaluate for a moment. As you walk in the world, are you someone whose heart is fighting against the things out there or are you fighting to see the salvation of individual people? And to answer that question, think, who are the individual people that I'm currently actively working to share the gospel with? Because if the answer to that is no one, then you're not fighting the good fight. You may be fighting something, but it's not the fight that Jesus came to bring to the world, and it's not the fight that he commissioned the church to be about. How active are you in making sure the people around you understand a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners? So here's the reflective question for now. What battle are you fighting? What's the battle that you're fighting? Is it the battle for wealth, status, for perfection? Is it the battle for sexual fulfillment, for relationships, for political victory, for control? Or are you actively fighting that the gospel would go forth, that lives would be transformed that Jesus would be exalted. What battle are you fighting? I think we're really guilty in the church. We say we care about the gospel. We say we want to live and work this mission of God in the world, but so many of us are passive in the fight that God is inviting us into. We're happy to turn up. We're happy to sing a couple of songs sometimes. (laughs) Uh, we'll listen to the message. We might even try to apply some of it and we go back to normal life. We sit on the couch, we watch TV, we hang out with our friends and we fail to be active in the fight that Jesus has called us to fight. What battle are you fighting? So in this little autobiographical parenthesis in verses 12 to 17 that Paul jumps into, he takes time to revisit and recount his story. Um, And it's one of these moments, it's deeply honest. 
Uh, maybe he's exaggerating, but I think he's being super honest in this moment. And it serves three functions. So we're going to look one at a time at three different functions that this little autobiographical parenthesis uh, explains to us in relationship to this command to fight the good fight. So the first one, Paul digresses or loses the plot a little bit because he wants to take a moment and invoke honor as it relates to this command to fight the good fight. I thank Jesus Christ, Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy appointing me to his service. Paul always puts the honor where the honor is due, right in the hands of Jesus, right? It's honor that goes to God because he's the one that does the work through the person of Jesus. The longer we walk with Jesus, the easier it is to stop giving the honor to him for the transformation that happens in our life. Don't know how much you've thought about this, we tend to say, it's really exciting listening to the testimonies of people who have just given their life to Jesus because it's exciting and the transformation is radical and they're so excited about their faith. Implied in that is the longer you walk, the more boring it gets. The more distant from the transformation, has, the more distance has come from the transformation in our lives as if, All the fixing happened when you gave your life to Jesus and now it's been smooth, plain sailing ever since, right? You you know you're in this situation where like you've distanced yourself from the brokenness of your life and it's like, you know, I'm a good person. I work really hard and I've given a lot of time and energy to knowing the word and I pray a lot. I stay out of trouble I don't do the things that they do. I don't do the things I used to do. And we act as if we're no longer in a battle with sin. And we'll just wait for those people who are newly freed from sin to be able to share their testimony. But, but here's Paul, the one commissioned to establish the church. The one that's written two-thirds of the epistles in the New Testament that we're looking at today. This guy is the one going... Look, I want to give him the honor and the glory for the brokenness that I walk in. So how well are you doing as you fight the good fight at giving honor to the one whom the honor should go to? Or how much of your time do you spend instead fixated on the people and the problems you think should be fixed and give all your lip service to them instead? We're really bad in the Western world. I think it's just the fallen human condition We worship the broken world by talking about it more than we talk about Jesus. We worship the problems that we see by complaining about them with every moment we get rather than giving our all to Jesus and lifting his name above all the things that are broken in the world. So Paul digresses for a moment because he wants to invoke honor to Jesus for the work that has happened. The second function, he wants to impart some hope to Timothy. Is this, this moment, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and in unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Is Paul just like, hey, I'm just going to remind you who I was and what a horrible person I was and how I was saved? No, Paul is trying to remind Timothy, the people that you're up against are people just like me. 
Like these people who have wrong doctrine that are destroying, coming against the church and downplaying the work of Jesus. This is who I was. I was the guy, the Pharisee of all Pharisees out there chasing down Christians and approving of their death. I was hunting them down and sentencing sentencing them to death. I was the blasphemer, the persecutor, the violent person. So just remember that even I was shown mercy. And if God can take me, Paul, and, and strip me of all of that and put me on the path of righteousness that leads the church forward then surely he can do the same for the people that are standing against you. So this is a moment where Paul wants to impart hope to Timothy. I'm not just leaving you to try and figure this out yourself, but you know the stories of what God can do. Now, we are all called to fight this good fight, and there are people in your lives that you think, there is no way in H-E double hockey sticks that they would ever come to know Jesus. And Paul is going, no, I'm that guy. That person that you think could never come to salvation, that is me. And Jesus worked in my life and brought me to the place of salvation. So fight the good fight. Those people in your life that seem the least able to accept the gospel are the very people that Jesus is calling you to take the gospel to, knowing that those are the sorts of people whose hearts he can soften, where transformation can come. If Jesus can save Paul, he can save the false prophets. If Jesus can save Paul, he can save the most stubborn, hard-hearted person that you encounter in your life. Paul's testimony is giving confidence to Timothy that victory will come. I want to look at the three words just briefly um, that Paul uses to describe himself. He says, I'm a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. What's going on here? Um, How was Paul a blasphemer? Um, the, God, the, the New Testament makes it really clear that we blaspheme when we deny the Holy Spirit and the testimony that he gave to Jesus as the one who came to rescue us from darkness and bring us into saving knowledge of God. So a blasphemer really is anyone speaking against God and his plan is clearly revealed in scripture. That's who Paul was. We read his testimony in Acts he was a persecutor. The word used here for persecutor is one who is pro, in a prolonged way fleeing towards something to attack it. So this is like aggressive pursuit in a prolonged way after something. This is the posture that he had as he chased uh, what at that point was the church and holy people. You know, there are people who claim the title of Christian who go after attacking other Christians Because they don't believe that what those Christians are doing is right or what they're teaching is correct or how they're living is correct. And in some senses, they're right. And in some places, those people are just like Paul being in this place of self-righteousness, attacking the people of God in a way that dishonors God. And and then violence. The word word might more accurately be translated insolent, um, but it's, it's the internal posture that brings about the external action. Again, in the church in the West, we are insolent people. The way we look at the world, the way we look at churches that differ from us, the way we talk about other Christians, the way we grumble about how things happen, we are insolent people. The difference is, most often, we live in a little bit more of a sanitized way, so we don't act on it in an aggressive way. We like to act on it in a passive-aggressive way. 
Right? We like the grumbling, the complaining, the cold shouldering, the ignoring, the name calling, the gossiping. We don't get out there with our fists and start pummeling someone because we don't agree. And we think somehow because we don't lift our hands against someone else that we're somehow better uh, than, than other people. Paul is using some words that are, like, if, if you think about this, to describe yourself, like, to, to call yourself these words, like, I'm a blasphemer. Like, how many in here would say, that's, that's the word I would use to describe myself that I want to be known by, right? Someone who's actively rebelling against God and his words and his actions. How many of us would say, I'm a violent person? So Paul is using these ugly parts of himself to point to the glorious grace of Jesus. What are your three words? If you think about what Jesus has rescued you from and is continuing to work to rescue you from, what are the three words that describe your brokenness as it operates in the world? What are the three words that would define your testimony that you could turn to someone and say, I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent person, but God poured out grace abundantly on me and called me to his service. For me, I was a thief and a sexually depraved person who was full of his own self-importance. Three words that describe the brokenness that Jesus rescues us out of. Paul was imparting hope. He could see the extent of the brokenness in himself and remember that because Jesus rescued me, then there's hope that he can do this for these other people. The final one, it calls us or invites us to a place of humility. I'm hoping you're starting to feel this part internally already. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Quote Paul, of whom I am the worst. For that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, quote Paul, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul viewed himself as the worst of sinners. How many in here view yourself, you don't need to show your hands, I'm gonna ask it rhetorically, View yourself as the worst of sinners? Or how many of you, when Paul says, I'm the worst of sinners, would put yourself above Paul in terms of your moral purity and righteousness? Because if you're not declaring yourself the worst of sinners, you're declaring yourself better than Paul. I think most of us sit in a place of self righteousness, right? My sins are not as bad as their sins. I'm nowhere near as bad as Kim. <laughs> I'm the pastor, right? I'm holy. I have no issues. I'm perfect. I think when Paul says this, he believes it, but I think it's an invitation to us to stand with him in that statement. I, Scott, as the pastor of this church, I'm the worst of sinners. Now, if I'm the worst of sinners... There's hope for all of you. If I'm the worst of sinners, the work that needs to be done for the people out there is a lot easier than the work that needs to be done in my heart. If I'm the worst of sinners and God can do this 
to me and through me and I can stand here and bear witness to that, then the hope that that gives us as we go out into the world, but as we fight the good fight, we're not fighting from a place of self-righteousness. My sin isn't as bad as your sin. My sin isn't as bad as their sin. So let's go out there and try and fix those miserable sinners. I go out with humility. I'm not coming to you because I'm better than you. I'm coming to you because I'm like you. And in many senses, I'm worse than you. And so I want to bring you the hope that transforms the way it's transformed my life. I want to remind you of context again. Paul is here saying I'm the worst of sinners, right? Why? Because he's the guy that persecuted the church. He actively opposed the people of God. He was responsible for the deaths of multiple Christians. But remember what he's just talked about prior to this. He's given this vice catalog. And he's like, here's the issues that you people are dealing with that demonstrate the false teaching in the world. And he starts listing them, lawbreakers, rebels, all the way down to everything that's contrary to sound doctrine. Paul's like, I'm the worst of sinners. He's looking at this list and declaring himself worse than the people around him that are on this list. Is that the way you operate when you look at your own sin? Do you see yourself as worse than all of this or do you think you're better than them? Paul is not placing them above other people. He's placing himself under them in terms of the level of their brokenness. It's an invitation to humility. When we're called to go out there and and fight this good fight, he's reminding us by his story that there's hope because God can save the most miserable sinner and bring them into a place of righteousness in the kingdom. And he's reminding them to be humble in the process. Don't think you're better than everyone else, but come alongside in humility in the way we, we bring the gospel to people. So really, there's two extremes that we have to try and guard against in the church. One of them I call worm theology, and the other we call self-righteousness. So if we can put that up on the screen, Eric. Worm theology says, I'm just a miserable worm, and I'm worthless, and I'm such a miserable sinner that God can't love me, no one else should love me, and I can't do anything good in the world because my sin is so great. That's not what the gospel teaches us. On the other hand, we say, I'm so... Always forget you see up there the other way, so I need to go that way and then this way. So worm theology is over here and self-righteousness is over here. And self-righteousness says, I'm better than you. Let me come and sort out all your problems uh, while I look at pornography in secret and I gossip about you behind the back and I grumble about all the things in the world and I fail to share the gospel and I don't read my Bible and I don't pray and I hoard all my money for things of the world and I'm materialistic. But hang on, you're a thief. You need the gospel. So we've got to guard against not being miserable sinners on one hand. What did Paul say? I was the worst of sinners, yet God poured in abundance his grace over me. He entrusted me with the ministry of the gospel that the extraordinary patience of God would be seen in the world, that I would be an example to people of that so that they would believe and receive eternal life. So there's a a command in chapter one with to guard our doctrine. There's a purpose so that we can go and fight the good fight in the world. And there's a way that we're supposed to do it with our testimony front and center. Full awareness of our brokenness, considering ourselves the worst of sinners coming out into the world to help other sinners in their journey toward Jesus. The end of the day, right? We need Jesus. 
It's the message every week. We need Jesus. We need him to remind us of our brokenness. We need him to magnify the level of our current brokenness so that we can see the sin that we're really walking in so that we can plead with him to give us the grace we need to overcome the brokenness that we're walking in. We've been commanded as the church to fight the good fight, right? Our job is to take the gospel to the broken people around us in the church and then out in the world. We need Jesus to help us, to give us vision, to give us eyes to see the broken people in the houses next to us, to see the needs of the people sitting beside us. When we see someone whose lifestyle and politics and theology and religion is completely opposite to ours, we need Jesus to help us to see that even that person can be saved into the kingdom of God and be used as an instrument of glory as they carry the gospel. We need Jesus. Robert Yarbrough, who's a New Testament scholar, he wrote this in comment on these passages that I just think is convicting. He says, Paul knows the damage that can be inflicted when law-convicted yet self-righteous persons take the reins of religious leadership so that high morality or intense religiosity or both are looked to as salvific, as looked to as the things that save us rather than the one whom the Father appointed to come into the world to save sinners, Jesus Christ. So much damage can be done by us as Christians as law-convicted, self-righteous people taking the reins of leadership. So Paul is writing to Timothy, you're called to lead the church. There's a way that you're gonna have to do this. You're gonna have to confront false doctrine. You're gonna have to uh, confront sin and people's lives to help them uh, align with the gospel. But do it with the hope of a God who saves and transforms and do it with the humility, remembering what he's done in you first and do it all for love of God and for love of people to the glory of Jesus.